0: Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Conversation with Jahavi. Each week, I sit down with entrepreneurs, innovators, and creators from around the world who share fascinating views, stories, and expert advice on start and grow a business from A to Z. Enjoy the show. In this episode, and particularly
1: if you've been in the trenches a long time and you do something new. They, you know, I can't tell you how many people have given me the old proverb, which is another proverb, the first through the door and what gets the most bloody.
0: Hello. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Conversation with Géraldine. I have the pleasure to have you with me to talk about you, to talk about Rengreed, which is your company. And I really would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you for being here with us today.
1: Thank you, Géraldine. It's a pleasure to meet you and your audience here on Entrepreneurs in Conversation. Uh, Who can I say I am? I am Kevin Mercer. I am the founding um, CEO of, or the co-founding CEO, of RainGrid. We are a climate adaptation resilience firm uh, Mm -hmm. working in the, uh, I guess, clean water uh, climate resilience side of, uh, of civic infrastructure.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, that's a very particular industry that is very dear to my heart, because like one of my previous venture was in, is was actually in that industry. And so that's why I'm super excited to have you to discuss actually all the challenges and successes that we are, you know, facing in this industry Um but before that, I really want to say um, your tagline. I, I think I love it. And it's, it's very interesting because it says, um, ringreed um is to change the world what one home at a time. You know, so it covers so much, but I would love for you to tell us more about what it means and what it um, encompasses, actually.
1: Sure. Okay. I'll build it backwards for you. I'll deconstruct the reality. The, the deconstruction is that homes uh, in water uh, or in the, the world of climate um, are a reflection of their rooftops. Mm-hmm. And in a city, in the average city globally, residential rooftops represent the largest individual impermeable area. Mm-hmm. So when I'm a raindrop and I'm falling out of the sky, uh, the chances that I hit a residential rooftop when I hit something solid in a city are forty-seven percent of the total amount of area. Mm-hmm. So, um, R- RainGrid uh, evolved out of a uh, an NGO that mm-hmm. worked on urban watershed, or in particular, river restoration. Mm -hmm. And our focus um, of that group was to restore, you know, urban forests, uh, make trails to get people down into watersheds, get them to understand their connection to the river. Mm -hmm. There was a small group of us within that group called the Task Force to Bring Back the Mm Dawn that wanted to protect the water quality of the river. Mm -hmm. Um, And it quickly became clear that what made the river uh, polluted was stormwater runoff. And where does stormwater fall? But everywhere outside of the river itself. And in a city, that's largely on residential properties. Mm-hmm. So our city at the time had a campaign to get people to disconnect their downspouts from their roofs. Uh, and to uh, to put in, um, you know, a, a rain barrel uh, and uh, other behaviors, but these were all sort of disparate. Uh, they weren't all put together in a cam- in a singular campaign. Mm-hmm. So a group of us formed an NGO uh, to do community based social marketing uh, to educate people about their connection of their home to their river mm-hmm. and the impact that their homes had on their on, on urban rivers and, and uh, water quality. So that was the five things you can do for the DAWN campaign. And it became a, um, a successful, uh, in effect, marketing arm of, of the, the city that we worked in at the time to, to get people to, to take up civic programs. So... The five things were disconnect your downspouts. Don't use toxic substances on your property like pesticides and salt and fertilizer. Um, reduce your, your demand for potable water. Um, uh, let's see. Hold on. Uh, naturalize your property and get involved with your neighbors to learn more about how your home is connected to your watershed. Mm-hmm. So that campaign... We did that campaign in Toronto. We did it in Ottawa, and then we got a phone call one day from uh, a, a uh, an organization in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they wanted us to demonstrate the value of rain barrels alone. Mm-hmm. They, their Their mission was to say, "What what value does do rain barrels have in this new world of green infrastructure?" So this is way back in the the 90s when we started, and eventually this is in the early 2000s, we had, we had this really unique opportunity to build a large-scale empirical uh, demonstration project of uh, 650 green barrels um, installed for a, uh, a community, and uh, I forgot to turn off my phone, sorry, uh, and, 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 you know, to have that evaluated uh, in terms of its impact on a receiving water body, combined sewer overflows, and, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, in effect, the overall water quality. Mm-hmm. That program called the Nine Mile Run Rain Barrel Initiative actually demonstrated that if you take one cubic meter of water off a residential rooftop and keep it out of the sewer system, you have a significant impact on sewer flows, uh, water, you know, we're seeking water quality and the reduction of combined sewer overflows. Mm-hmm. Um, while we were doing that campaign, somebody actually donated a rain barrel mold to mm-hmm. us. So we, a bunch of, of hot headed environmentalists, suddenly became owners of the means of production, for lack of a better term. Uh, We started to manufacture a a cistern and do campaigns around what good rain barrel programs were. And that's what's important, is that it's not that rain barrel programs weren't common. Good ones were. So people would put out any little tiny thing like, you know, 40-gallon, um, repurpose drums, stick them under their downspout, and say that they were doing a you know stormwater campaign and a water conservation campaign. The truth of the matter is they were accomplishing mm-hmm. nothing um, because, when, as as one of my mentors said early in uh, my career, he said that's tinkering at the edges. You need to make substantive change. Yeah. What was unique about the Nine Mile Run project was they actually measured what substantive change looked like. So they said up to 40% of, unless you do 40% or more of the homes in a neighborhood or a sewer shed, you're not really having significant impacts. And the key is to do, a, in effect, a house by house utility approach. So, That's a long way of answering your question. One house at a time in a multiplicity throughout a a watershed actually accomplishes Mm -hmm. almost the same thing as what cities spend extremely large sums of money building, which is combined sewer tunnel Mm -hmm. systems. So whether you're Washington, D.C. or Toronto or Chicago, most cities have sewer systems that are not sufficient to the uh, growth of the city, to the the influx of rain, another was called infill and infiltration, Mm -hmm. um, and and they overflow. So as climate change intensifies rainfall, um, we get a lot more combined sewer overflow. So they build giant detention infrastructure. Mm -hmm. By putting, a cubic meter or more of storage on every individual house, you can obviate the need to make that infrastructure huge. Mm -hmm. And you also provide uh, resilience. So if 10% of your rain barrels don't work, that's different than if your one tunnel doesn't Mm -hmm. work.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've seen. Um, I was looking at cases like, um, you know, the overflow that we saw in London a couple of years ago. That was really impactful in terms of, you know, millions of dollars, you know, spent in order to fix it. That was pretty, mm-hmm. um, pretty crazy, <laughs> if you must be the expression. Now, you are trying to change an industry, working towards that goal, but. You have um, values that are aligned with the 12 goals of the United Nations, right? So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, anything infrastructure, um, anything water and sustainable, am I right? Our,
1: our SDG uh, goals are um, water, climate, community, and infrastructure. Okay. Uh, so we, we were, uh, Raingrid was selected uh, as illustrative of, of um, what any global city could do around meeting its SDGs in water, climate, infrastructure, and community, mm-hmm. particularly because we took such a unique approach to smart water management. Mm-hmm. Um, there are almost no companies Dedicated to working
0: at the residential property level. Yes, yes, but actually, why is that? Why is that? There's few, like so little, you know, companies that dedicate their time and effort in order to solve that problem because it is one.
1: It it is well as I said earlier. It it's such a large area of a city, but cities tend to spend money on the big bang for the buck thing. So they they tend to naturally work with commercial properties, which are larger. So they have to do fewer of them to supposedly get a bigger impact Mm -hmm. for their green infrastructure applications, whether that's green roofs or blue roofs or permeable paving or rain gardens, et cetera. Plus, there's a problem that when you put civic infrastructure on private property, it turns out there isn't a business model that supports that implementation. Mm-hmm. So what we learned through our experience building rain barrel programs for cities is that people will not buy green infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, out of the goodness of their heart, although there's an assumption that they will, and it's a false assumption. Mm-hmm. People say they want to do green things, and they may take an effort to do them. But the scope and scale of what we need to tackle climate change in our cities requires a comprehensive Mm -hmm. effort, and it ought to be utilitized. Mm -hmm. The problem is that when you work on people's properties, you're asking them to do you a favor. So you need to switch the lens around Mm -hmm. and look at it outside of the traditional... Uh, utility client relationship mm-hmm. to one where the the client the the property owner is instead of being incented to do the right thing is actually being brought into an equal partnership mm-hmm. between the property owner and the utility mm-hmm. and that business model hasn't really existed and ring grid created what we call the lot-level approach, which was, let's work on multiplicities of lots, bring them all together, and create, in effect, community utilities. Mm-hmm. What we missed was the necessity of aggregating that, not, not just as a utility, but
0: as a business model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's so interesting, because... You are doing it all in terms of changing where we see smart cities. You know, you're making an impact in that ways. But you're, go- you're going even further by, you know, being a clean tech B Corp company. Um, you're certified. So tell us more about this because, yes, you provide technology, but you also have value that you set in stones and that you actually you are certified for it. So tell us more about it.
1: Rain Grid uh, is, the, is the spin-off of that NGO I, I referenced earlier. Um, our mission has always been uh, to protect urban rivers, uh, to do so through partnerships with the, the citizens of a city, and to turn uh, green infrastructure and then later on smart uh, city infrastructure to the cause of achieving that original Mm -hmm. goal. Uh, My team, uh, the members of my team suggested back in 2014 that we apply to be a B Corp. And so we went through the very detailed long process of applying to be a B Corp. My original response when my team asked me, you know, uh, why we hadn't applied to be a B Corp was I don't need anyone else's validation of what it is we're doing. We already have a mission that's right. We already have a, a, uh, a practice of doing so. I mean, you know, it, it, we live what our, our values are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to prove that, you know, as, as anyone says, yeah, you can say that, but you have to prove it. So we actually applied. Um, and we, we wrote all the, the application. I hated it, and if it weren't for my team, it wouldn't have gotten done. But we applied, and they gave us a B Corp certification. Well, what was interesting is we discovered later that the average B Corp is 95 out of 200. Uh, I think I have that top figure right. I may be wrong. But we got 132. Um, and that was that was our first year, so... Um, All of our principles, all we did was write our principles into our application. You know, this is what we did. I bike to work every day and things like that. Um, It it wasn't difficult for us. And and what really surprised us is we won best in the world in both environmental and overall Mm -hmm. uh, in our first year. And they gave us the nice little wooden medallion. (laughs) Uh, and a party, and that was that. And then a year later, they said, well, it's time to recertify. And I went, oh, my God, I have to go through that whole process again. I'm not doing it. (laughs) And I I sent them a letter. I said, respectfully decline. Thank you very much. Click. And that was Mm -hmm. that. Um, You know, B B Corp, I, I, I would strongly encourage any company isn't uh, mission driven in an obvious way to be a b corp mm-hmm. um but for rain grid our bon- we wear our bona fides on our sleeve every single mm-hmm. day um and and you know we try our damnedest to run a sustainable business mm-hmm. um being that a we're a manufacturer of plastic cisterns, which of course we require being 100% recycled. Um, you know, we we maximize to our greatest ability uh, uh, vendor responsibility, i.e., you know, extended producer responsibility for you know, if your rain barrel breaks, we'll take it back. Mm-hmm. And we'll send it back to the plant and that sort of thing. So, I mean, there's a lot... I don't want to
0: say that we are greater than just. It's just that we just try our Mm -hmm. best. Like everybody, of course. And I think that's what matters at the end of the day. Now, I mean, you've been um, adding like AI component in order to provide weather predictions with your systems and IoT as well um, with your system parts, right? So now you are... A business with a great impact in terms of society values and, of course, environment. Right, but how, well, thank you. But how do you scale an entity like yours?
1: Uh, so we moved into uh, artificial intelligence and Internet of Things because there were two barriers in green infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned earlier, anybody thought that if they stuck the smallest or whatever size. Um, uh, you know, container under a downspout. They were doing stormwater management and and uh, water conservation, and and it wasn't true. So volume in the world of rain is king, um, but operations are next. So the reason that that property based um, uh, you know small scale uh, green infrastructure was was. Uh, belittled by the engineering community is because of two things. One is it wasn't uh, aggregated and it wasn't maintained. Mm -hmm. So the engineers would say, yeah, you can't prove you're actually having the impact you presume Mm -hmm. you're having. And it's just not enough on a small scale. Mm the the way that we got around that was the artificial intelligence and the internet of things so we would actually uh we 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 had a software designer write an ai that took raw weather data turned it into how much water was predicted to fall on a roof and drain off that Mm -hmm. roof and then correlate that to the volume that was within the system Mm -hmm. so obviously If a a cistern or a rain barrel is full when it rains the next time, then it's useless. So people weren't maintaining their rain barrels, i.e. it's not just for keeping them clean. They were emptying them. So you stick a sensor in, it tells you the level, gives you the temperature, the barometric pressure, you know, an AI that tells you when it's going to rain, how much it's going to rain, how much A certain roof area translates into a certain amount of runoff to go to a certain size cistern. And you say, okay, AI, tell the IoT to open that valve to drain itself 24 hours before it's going to rain. That way, we'll know we have the maximum capture uh, volume available so that we can, to the best of our abilities, given the size of the cistern we have, get as close to zero runoff as possible from this Mm -hmm. roof. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. And we took that theory, put it into practice, went back to the civic utilities, the civic water utilities and said, this is what we built. And they went, not interested. Mm -hmm. So how did we scale it? Well, that's our challenge. Mm -hmm. We discovered that what we were asking water utilities to do was outside of their business model. They couldn't actually do it. Even though our friends at, at really big utilities um, really liked what we were doing, when, it, when push came to shove, the whole concept of a utility putting out a requirement that property owners on a disparate basis, like house by house by house by house, have intelligent rainwater harvesting installed on their property. They just, they just said, that's, we don't have the bandwidth to do that. That's beyond our capabilities. Now, these are people who run massive civic infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Nothing is beyond their capability, but this was. How do we get around that? Well, we, we discovered that what we used to call the lot-level approach needed a different lens for the mm-hmm. business. So that lens was not let's sell them this, but how do we finance mm-hmm. this? And it wasn't until I met two geniuses uh, who solved my pain. Uh, so that's the that's sort of the crux of the story. We all know the old saying there just isn't enough money. These two gentlemen turned that again around and said, Oh, there's no shortage of money.
0: How did we make that happen? Because like I mean I'm curious now, I mean that's that's pretty impressive. Especially you know, in that industry, you need to know the right people, and you need to meet the right people at the right time, right? Like in many of industry, obviously. So, how did we do it? They
1: are environmental financiers. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, I, I, as I said, conferences and, and COVID nineteen is is uh, is a good example of why we have to get. Vaccines, put them in arms, and get the hell out of our our uh, offices and start meeting people face mm-hmm. to face again. Because if I never met one person face to face, actually two people, um, I wouldn't be able to tell you this. But I went to a I went to the Sustainatopia conference, mm-hmm. um, and I met Eric Letzinger from Quantified mm-hmm. Ventures, and eventually I met George Kelly from Bespoke Mitigation. George Kelly. Uh, is a fascinating genius um, who changed my perspective on what it is I'm doing. He said, "You're not selling infrastructure; you're aggregating outcomes." <laughs> and I went, "Really? Okay, sure." We we we've been talking about the front end. He was talking about the 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 back end. The back end is kind of like. Um, CO2 or or uh, carbon carbon trading, mm-hmm. um, he trades stormwater credits. So you do the right thing, and then you aggregate the credits, and then you sell those credits. Mm-hmm. The front end was a, uh, Eric Letzinger, and Eric Letzinger writes environmental outcome bonds, mm-hmm. which is financing for infrastructure. That's diverse. that. Creates outcomes that George Kelly mm-hmm. dreams. So the two of them looked at me and they said, "You're a small genius." And I went, "You're right about that. Uh, small is the optimum word." Um, but but in terms of, you know, my genius is small, but also my my impact until that point had been small. Mm-hmm. We weren't actually selling what we had designed. Um, despite our best of intentions, despite not being a shrinking violet, um, it was one step over the line for the utilities to do what what uh, Letzinger and Kelly eventually renamed um, aggregated rain grid networks. We had been calling it the stormwater smart grid. They looked at me and said, that could be generic, that's anything. Mm-hmm. Your name, rain grid, is exactly what we need to build and aggregated demonstrates that this is how we build value Mm
0: -hmm. wow that's that's pretty impressive actually you pivoted literally if you look at that way with that glance like you you had you had everything you had all the ingredients and then you just shift the way you were viewing things in order to make it something different but we've still the same valuable ingredients like I find it so smart and so so clever and powerful actually at the same time so now I mean you grow you grew you made a lot of learnings and assumptions over the course of the last couple of months how do you keep on you know remaining aligned with your ethics and your growth at the same time
1: uh, uh growth is I, I'll be really honest, Geraldine. Growth is not what we do. We barely survive. We are hanging on by our fingernails. Um prior to COVID, then there then we hit COVID and it was like, oh my God, we're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Um if it weren't for the federal support programs for small business, um we wouldn't have been able to survive twenty twenty. Mm-hmm um whether or not we survive 2021 um is a function of whether or not a a uh, our next pilot project is actually going to get funded and get off the mm-hmm. ground um there is a, there's a saying amongst entrepreneurs i know you know it everybody knows that death by pilot in you know, other words nobody's willing to actually go big uh, they all want to see you demonstrate your technology or demonstrate this, or, or I'll, I'll buy one, and if it works, I'll buy twenty, or whatever. Um, you know, when I started RainGrid, uh, a, a friend of mine said, wow, you just added three zeros to your world. You've gone from working in the hundreds of thousands to the millions. And I said, well... Don't talk too fast. I mean, the first time somebody actually signs a check and says, "I want to buy," you know, a thousand rain grid systems, you know, which which at at a certain point we valued at, you know, I can't remember what it was three million dollars mm-hmm. or something, uh, and it turned out we were low, uh, but but nonetheless, there's a huge difference between writing a check for three hundred thousand dollars, which is what. Uh, a thousand uh, rain barrels cost mm-hmm. versus uh, you know a thousand smart systems and systems, which would be mil- you know three million dollars. Mm-hmm. So in other words, three zeros. Um, and, and how how have we aligned our values with that? What's What's interesting about our values is that I mean there's a, there are a whole lot of moving parts that I'm not talking about, obviously. You have to make technology. You have to buy, you know, electrically actuated valves, etc. I could tell you horror stories that the electrically actuated valves that we sourced out of China that were supposed to be weatherproof turned out to not be weatherproof. Mm -hmm. And the first three pilots we put on the ground are sitting there fallow in the field because all the valves rot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or the... You know, the the really expensive uh, pressure transducer valves that we, or not, um, sensors that we bought for our first pilot project didn't last through the first winter. Um, We learned, I learned the lesson, we learned the lesson, I suppose, that somebody who who worked in technology told me when I started RainGrid, he said, when you put technology in the field, you should expect hundred percent of it to fail within the first five yeah. years. And I just looked at him and I said, No, that's not gonna happen to We're we're gonna, we're gonna do it right. Well, he was right. hundred percent of our of our second pilot lies in the field yeah. dead. Yeah. And it's as though we never got paid for it because we'd have to go out and rebuild it on our own dime. And we're we're just not Financially capable of doing that, so we keep we keep looking, you know, for more money, more money, etc. And and being that I came out of the NGO world, you know, the, there's a fabulous lesson is that I, I was much happier as a poor NGO executive director than I am as the CEO of a company. Um, you know, I I had. I don't know what it is. I had far more resources. I had far more value. The, the conversation is that uh, venture capital hates infrastructure. It takes too long to pay off. If I were doing a parking app for your phone, they'd love to invest in that kind of stuff because the turnover is so rapid. Um, real... Physical infrastructure change is—they just don't have the stomach for that. That civic, governmental, uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I think what's important in the in the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial world is that if you're going into infrastructure and you're not already, you know, Wood or Jacobs or you know, uh, you know, any of the big engineering firms. You don't stand a chance mm-hmm. um, because they're not going to buy it from <laughs> you or they're going to buy it at a huge discount
0: <laughs> or, 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 or so many mm-hmm. things, or, or they'll ask you to do one. Um, so um, that's, that's quite challenging. I have to admit that. So yeah. that you, um, even though you came along, you know, a very long process to be where you are. Um, what are the next milestones that you will define um, that will be the most important for you um, within the next couple of months or years? Like, Is it more revenues? Is it more people? Is it more impact? What is the most important?
1: The most important thing is people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I, I owe RainGrid to a totally unsung hero named Igor Yeremen who was my full-stack software developer, Mm -hmm. uh, I would sit down with Igor Yerriman and I would say, I want things to do X, Y, and Z. And he'd go away, and he'd write the code, um, and he'd come back and say, is this what you wanted? And I'd sit there and go, oh my God, that's exactly what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't write code. I'm a water geek. Um, Igor Yerriman. Uh, reached into my brain and went, oh, okay, I'll take this, this, and this, and then I'll write code that actually makes it do this. Mm-hmm. And I would keep going back to Igor and then say, Igor, I need the AI to do this. He'd look at me in a non- nonchalant way and goes, it already does that. We just haven't turned it on. Um, he, he was part of our team right up until, uh, you know, the early, early part of 2019. Then he's, he came to me one day and he said, I just can't do this anymore, mm. you know. Like he had sacrificed enough of his career to our company, mm-hmm. and what was really fascinating about him is, I said, "I owe you shares in the company." He said, "No, really, really, yeah." He just said, "You know, I, like, you know, if if it, if it works, it works, but you know, this is." This is just where you are and, you know, move forward. Um, but so when I say people, people are really, really important because no, no man man's is an island. No one can, you know, it's like the old African saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, it, or, you know, any one of those societal proverbs. I think the key is that um, visionaries need Community, uh, and that's uh, Salima Velini's uh, lesson to me. That you know, you, as good as you are, you need a community of practice. You need a community around you, and that's probably the hardest thing for somebody like me, because um, you know, a lot of visionaries are a little irascible. And uh, particularly if you've been in the trenches a long time and you do something new, they, you know, I can't tell you how many people have given me the old proverb, which is another proverb, the first through the door gets the most bloody. You're not going to make a, you know, like, you're not going to be at the Amazon. Uh, you're you're going to wind up bleeding in the gutter, you know, gasping your last breath going, I was right. Big deal. So you're right. Um, you know, and and so that's that's where the the George Kellys and the Eric Letzingers and and the sort of like the pivot, as you called it, to seeing what we do from a different perspective mm-hmm. was so valuable to mm-hmm. me. Um, I I have to stop worrying about money and start less. Sorry, I have to I have to stop worrying about money, well actually I don't like happen. but I've stopped focusing on technology. Because technology as I as I discovered in a number of phone conversations that I've had over the last year, I would tell people what it is we did, why we did it, etc. and it it soon became clear that that thing I used to consider just background, which was the business model, the relationship mm-hmm. Of utilities to property owners, that that lot level utility that we dreamt about building, you know, t- oh, 20 years ago, um, it turns out that's the most important thing we do. So, building um, an aggregated network of technology requires writing the new business model. So that's going to be how my values that I've always held fast mm-hmm. to um, are going to change the industry and, and surprisingly people actually want me to write this stuff down for, for, for chapters for mm-hmm. books um, and 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 that's that's gratifying I think it's, it's so nice to you know it I guess you could say, you know, like dying in the gutter going, I oh, was right. But the, the, the truth of the matter is that it, if we can change the conversation, mm-hmm. we will build the community and that will sell the technology.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I love what you're sharing. And I think that's very key um, to rely actually more on human, even to develop core and innovate and impactful technologies. I truly believe in that um, now. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit. We just touched a little bit on that, but I really want you to, you know, tell us more about it. So, the twelve last months were pretty crazy. Let's put it that way, <laughs> and pretty yeah,
1: yeah. business as usual <laughs> around here. Pretty yeah.
0: intense, right? So, um, what are the most important learnings uh, you made over the last twelve months? Uh, well, I,
1: I, I had mentioned it in the, in the last 12 months that pretty much encompasses that, that evolutionary shift um, at rain grid, you know, from um, the stormwater smart grid to the aggregated rain grid network. I, that, those are just words, but that, that shift is that um, it's the technology is not going to save the day. Mm-hmm. The business model is going to save the day. Mm-hmm. Um that has been my last year. Um and and while we struggle to put together the next pilot project, um I struggle to find the peace of mind and the quietude, which is not easy for me, um, to sit down and write about the 25 years or 20 years has probably been. Um, of evolution of an environmentalist who said, I can get people to disconnect their downspouts. I can save a river. You know, I can change how uh, urban infrastructure is built. I can, you know, create climate resilience. Oh, wait a minute. It's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we haven't really shifted our values because our values were so core to our being in the first Mm -hmm. place. And that's what's important. If your values, if your mission is right, Mm -hmm. it will out over time. The the how you do Mm -hmm. it is what most of us don't understand. I don't know how to run a business. I just started running one. Um, I, you know, I don't don't have a professional engineering degree. I'm just a specialist in stormwater management. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't know software code if it bit me. I just run an AI IoT company. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a loser uh, at, at anything except having... These core values that saw a way that we should be doing things different in our cities. Mm-hmm.
0: I have one more question for you today, Kevin. So, I mean, can you tell us where do you see smart cities within the next decade?
1: I don't think a decade's not long enough if we continue at the pace where we are now, but where I, I where I think we all want to see smart cities within 10 years is shifting from core centralized infrastructure into intelligent, um, distributed, decentralized, aggregated. That's a, a reflection of a conversation that I think is out there. People are trying to find a word mm-hmm. for it. Um, you know, I, to me, I want to be conventional. Mm-hmm. That's where I think what's different. So where we need to be is is to bring down the barriers that the applications apply mm-hmm. to. Um, so in my little world of urban stormwater and, and climate change, and and you know if I can if, if I can just open a, a bracket on this one, when I started working in, in stormwater, my friends who worked in climate change used to say that carbon was global, water was local, um, and I didn't have enough wherewithal or confidence at the time to have a good repost to them. But the truth of the matter is they were wrong. Uh, Rain is global. It rains everywhere. It either is a function, and climate change is a function of whether you get more rain than you wanted or less rain than you wanted. Mm -hmm. And and that variability. So working in rain is actually working in climate change as much or more than working in carbon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carbon's a mitigative issue. We are... uh, the where the rubber hits the road, for lack of a better term, or more to the point, where the raindrop hits the earth. Um, so, so the key is that cities, in in my small world of urban rain infrastructure, um, I I see smart. I see cities adopting smart infrastructure, mm-hmm. and decentralized smart infrastructure, much like solar panels. So the the distributed or aggregated, I I, I love the word aggregated, so I want to go with it, is that the aggregated rain harvesting world is like the solar panel world Mm -hmm. of 15 years ago. You know, there were a whole bunch of solar uh, advocates who beat their heads against the utility wall For a long time, and then the utilities woke up and you know, it was the feed-in tariff world. So we need a feed-in tariff for water, one that recognizes that what happens on an individual property actually benefits the public good. If I do something on my property, the insurance folks love to say, "Oh, you're protecting your property." Rubbish! Me, my neighbors, all of us, we protect one another's Mm -hmm. properties and it's the community of practice that a community represents that an aggregated infrastructure of small devices intelligently managed mm-hmm. that takes the responsibility out of the hands of the property owner one of the things i didn't mention by the way is that the the evolution of ring grid was that we as i said we were trying to sell stuff to mm-hmm. cities Now we realize we don't need to sell things to cities. We need to tell them we'll do it for you. We'll finance it. We'll install it. We'll maintain it. No, sorry. We'll finance it. We'll install it. We'll operate it. And we'll maintain Mm -hmm. it. And we'll just send you the bill. And then you can put that bill on your operations, uh, you know, ledger as opposed to your capital infrastructure Mm -hmm. ledger. But – this, make no, make no mistake about it, is your infrastructure. This is aggregated, uh, you know, small infrastructure, but it's asset-managed infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, in a very long way, the kernel of the answer is asset-managed civic infrastructure on private property operated in real time in a partnership with property owners. Mm-hmm. Five things.
0: Thanks, Kevin, for being with us today. I mean, you shared so much about how you kind of outsmart, you know, the industry (laughs) and how you pivoted, like, in a very short, very short ways over the last couple of months. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I'm looking forward to, you know, everything that's going to come your way. And if you have one more final, you know, word that you'd like to share with the community, Please do. Wow, uh,
1: boy, talk about being put on the spot. <laughs> um, there is no endpoint more valuable than achieving substantive, sustainable change, mm-hmm. um, and a life's work. Very few of us are fortunate enough to have a life's work. Uh, If you have it, if you have the passion, don't let that passion be dimmed by people who don't see the flame.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Thank you for being with us today.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Geraldine, and thank you for your audience.
0: This is the end of the show. Share the show with your community. Make sure to listen to the next episode on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Anchor and more. Follow us on Instagram at ecg.podcast and me, Geraldine Jipé. Follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. See you next time.